Well, I want to talk to you about revival, okay? Because I have a great vision for revival in my life, and it's a vision that God has given me. Amen? Now, I know a lot of people don't like the word revival, but I, my statement to them is they just need to get over it because revival is awesome. Uh, Dan Duke, anybody, he's Dan spoken in this church. He was telling me about the revival in Brazil, okay? And this revival has literally turned that nation from a third-world country it is on its way of becoming a major economic force in the world, Brazil has. And, you know, of course, if you listen to the, to the uh, news, they're going to tell you it's because of the government and all that, which is awesome. But behind that government is a, a move of God that has changed that nation. And one of the things that Dan said about this revival was this revival was not a centralized revival. Meaning, like, you know, most of the revivals in the United States, they've been centralized in a specific place like Toronto or Bethel Church or, uh, you know, in the 90s, um, Brownsville, you know. And those were awesome revivals. But he said this revival is a bunch of little fires all over the place, a bunch of little churches, a bunch of little places where God has lit a fire. And these fires, the Holy Spirit blew on these fires and blew these fires together. And these fires have swept for years across that Nation and it's Larry and Cheryl been there. And they've witnessed the power of God that's you know still going to this day. It hasn't ebbed. I mean, it's ebbed some. And Dan would probably tell you, I think, that it's probably already crested. But uh, it's been a major, major revival. And I think that's really what the Lord wants to do in the United States. I've shared this story before. Um, I like to share. It. I share it to myself all the time. But in 2007. In this church, we were having a worship night with Kalani Glocklear, and uh, we love Kalani. We can get her back here pretty soon, this, sometimes this year. But anyways, I was just really enjoying that night of worship. That's what it was, just a time to worship the Lord and, you know, enjoy the ministry. And I was soaking right here, about right here on the floor, and just receiving from the Lord during that time. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, what you're doing is important, okay? Which to me is like, okay, Lord, I'm laying here on the floor, <laughs> just soaking in worship. I mean, I sort of understand the point that that's kind of an important thing to do, but, you know, in the big picture of things, you know, how's this important? And as I got those words out of my mouth back to God, I saw a vision of this church, and I saw this church explode into flames, and they shot straight up, probably 200 feet in the air. And as I lay there, I saw another, what I believe is Kannapolis, North Carolina. I saw a church explode into flames over there. And then I sort of came up and had a, saw a picture. I was looking like over the map of the United States, and I saw these little fires breaking out. A little fire here, a little fire there, a little fire here. And then I saw this wind come on those fires and blow those fires together. And it swept all across this nation. Isn't that powerful? And I believe that's really what God wants to do. I believe that He wants to start a fire that's going to burn in this nation. It's going to really change the course of this nation and turn this nation around. Um, and then at the end of 2010, I had a, a really a more powerful vision. Uh, and this vision was I saw the source of the fire. And I saw the Lord come. He was actually, I was standing here in this church on a, and the Lord came. But he came, he was on fire. He was, and it was remarkable, this fire. It was not, I've never seen a fire like it before on earth. It was like this liquid vapor fire that he was enveloped in. And he walked up to me and he stood, stood beside me. And, um, of course, you know, in a vision like that, you're, you're overcome. And he said to me to read John 14, 1 through 3. And I said, you're not going to disappear if I look down to read the Bible because I was just fixated on him. And, uh, of course, I read it. And when I started reading it, he enveloped me in fire. And I read it and said, the Lord's here, and everybody burst into flames. Isn't that awesome? Well, I'm living for that day. I believe that's... And, and you know, Jesus said in Luke, I think it's Luke 12 or Luke 13, that he came to the earth to kindle a fire. That's what he said. I came, I came here to kindle a fire. And how I wish it was already kindled. Now, if you read the context of that, it's sort of 
it's sort of a negative, you know, like, ugh, because he starts talking about judgment. But really, uh, let me just say this. Revival is a judgment because every person, when God begins to move, we are forced into a decision. Okay? He, you know, we have to make a decision. Are we going to receive what he's going to do, doing or are we going to reject what he's doing? And everybody will have to make that decision and see what the Lord will do. He'll keep coming back to you over and over and over until you make it. He won't stop, I promise you, uh, being a person who in the past, you know, when seeing God moving and not really wanting to, to receive what he was doing, but the Lord wouldn't leave me alone. I wouldn't say no to it, but I wasn't saying yes to it. But he kept coming back to me until I finally had to make a decision. Thank God, by the grace of God, my decision was, yes, Lord. You know, because many times revivals and moves of God, they're so confounding to your natural way of thinking. Okay, that even the person who really thinks that way, God has a way of really tricking you uh, and putting something out there before you that you may not, you may want initially reject. So, uh, I want to read this scripture. Are y'all okay? In, in 1995, this scripture was given to me by a good friend, he, a guy he said, who was in our church in 1995. He said, this is a word for this church. And this guy who's dead now, his name is Al Stevenson. And he wrote the scripture down on a piece of paper. And I've kept that piece of paper to, my, to this day because I, when he gave it to me, I knew it was the heart of the Father for us. It's uh, Ezra 9, 8... 8 through 9. Uh, it says, And now for a little while grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. In other words, God is going to always have a remnant of people who are going to escape the corruption of this world. Okay? That He has, set, he has called. That they're going, to, they're going to escape. And that's what the grace does. The grace revelation releases the power to live a godly life. It releases the power to overcome sin. That's what grace really does. You know, there's power in grace. Um, several years ago, I got to tell you about the Sapphire River. Uh, Becky had a vision of this river, and it was sapphire in color. And this river was very powerful, and this river had this draw on it. But there was a danger in this river. This was a dangerous river. That's what Becky said. This river felt dangerous to me. This was not a river you mess with me because it was, it was sort of violent in its uh, appearance. And and uh, and that and shortly thereafter, Becky received this really powerful revelation of grace in her life. And uh, then after that, I got a powerful revelation of grace. And so that's really the thing, you know, that God wants to do is release that grace river. Well, this morning in the first service, um, as we were worshiping, I was I found myself standing on the banks of a river, and it was the Sapphire River, just worshiping the Lord there. God wants to release that river afresh. Uh, and then Larry saw the a wall of water over there. It was that same river that God wants to release into the earth in a fresh way. That's going to, it's, it's, a, it's the grace which brings, brings everything that we are hungering for in the Lord. Um, this, it's interesting, this sapphire thing. Marlon brought this out, uh, how back in, in uh, Israel's day, uh, the Lord called the, uh, the elders of Israel up to a place where they saw the sapphire steps, right? The sapphire floor of God, the manifestation of this sapphire place. <laughs> sounded kind of crazy, but they came up there and sat down at the table and had a had a nice, uh, you know, a nice meal. You get the point? I mean, there's this revelation of sapphire, and you're in this place where heaven's being revealed, and everybody's sitting down eating hot dogs, and hamburgers, and French fries. That's how powerful, that's what God wants to do, is He wants to bring us to a place where we are so part of His manifest presence that it's so much a part of our life. You hear that? That's really what, it, what grace does. It makes it so much a part of your life that you're not falling apart all the time. Well, it's good to fall apart, you know, when God moves, but God wants to bring a people where they're not, so we can bring the people who haven't experienced that into that. One thing I'll tell you that really blessed me uh, when Downing uh, was sharing with me, was sharing with I think me and Marlon about how that Bethel Church they had this manifest cloud of glory in this church, and basically they've 
or sort of just living with this cloud. Like they're like, well, the cloud ain't doing anything. It's just there. We just need to go on and do what we're supposed to do. Now, that's an encouraging word to me. You understand what I'm saying? That's an encouraging word where God can bring a people to a place that they are accustomed to greater manifestations of the glory of God in the earth. Because I think God wants to do that a lot more in a lot more places. And He wants to bring people to a place where we, are, where we don't have to like, oh, I don't feel this, I don't feel that. But where we're knowing God's glory is here. Well, as Marlon keeps telling me all the time, you know, you need to hold your liquor. You know, because sometimes you get touched by the Lord, you just want to just, oh, you know. You need to kind of just, you know, not, mm, if you don't really need to, to do that. Are y'all with me this morning? It's really good. God, so, so he leaves us a remnant. We're that remnant to escape the corruption in the world by the grace of God and to give us a peg, a foothold in his holy place. That's the spiritual realm. That's the heavenly places that God has called the body of Christ to live in, to live from, that we have a foothold there, that we have a place there in that spiritual world. And God's really trying to really release that to us in greater ways. Somebody told me they had this encounter with an angel this week. Isn't this awesome? People are having, and this angel told them their name. Well, I know that might sound a little crummy to you, but here's what's even crummier. The angels, this has nothing to do with you, but that angel's name was Bob. <laughs> you would think an angel would have some elaborate, glorious, you know, Bobart or, you know, Robert. No, I'm just Bob. You know, I'm an angel. I'm here with you. Isn't that powerful? That's what I'm talking about. Man, God's just doing stuff. Anyways. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Walked into the promised land. That's pretty good. Wow. Whoa. You got the promised land this morning? Well, let's get in there. <laughs> yeah, amen. Amen. That's good, Dean. All right, here's the next thing. That God may enlighten our eyes. Enlighten. Revelation. The eyes of your heart being opened. That comes right out of the... Out of Ephesians, the eyes of the heart, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You see, this is, this is some cool stuff right here back in the day. Uh, and give us, and here it is, give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Give us a measure of revival. You see, if you study uh, church history, you see, and, uh, you know, biblical history, you see there was times where God would pour out these measures, okay? In fact, the day of Pentecost... Believe it or not, was a measure. If you read it in the literal Greek, that God took, it's like God took and poured a little bit out of the glass that He had. There is a greater move coming than Pentecost. There's a, there's a, where God's just going to take the glass and say, all. You see, He gave a measure then because, and He's been trying to prepare people to be able to, this is my, my theology. He's been trying to prepare a people for the day that we could stand. And when he poured it all out, we could still live in it and function in it. And he's been giving us a little and a little and a little, getting us more and more acclimated to the revelation of his world and the revelation of what he wants to do in Christ. Amen? For we were slaves, yet God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. You know what the kings of Persia are? They're demons. Remember in Daniel, where Daniel had this deal going, and he was praying, and, and finally, you know, Michael came to him, Michael the archangel, and said, well, your prayers have been heard, but there was this prince of Persia, demonic force that I had to deal with. So there's a lot going on in the spiritual world around us all the time that we don't know about. There's a spiritual war going on, and, and this, we got these angelic hosts that are fighting this battle for us, we, you know, really... We just don't have to do anything except believe, and, and they're fighting for us. They're, you know, they're fighting to have our prayers answered. And see, a lot of times, you know, we have, there's delays and there's things going on here. We don't really understand why. 
Why the delay? Many times it's because of there's stuff happening in the spiritual realm that we don't understand. That's why God wants to teach us and show us how to see into the spiritual world where we can begin to get a spirit of wisdom and revelation, to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that can understand what the Spirit of God is, is really saying. You know, that's really what God's trying to do is release that for us. And I think He is releasing that. And what we have to do, every little drop that He gives, we go after it. Every little drop we, we give, we cultivate and we count it as precious, even if it's just a tiny drop. And because, you know, to Him who's given, to Him who has, more will be given. That's what Jesus said. But when we begin to reject the things of God, we're actually rejecting increase. Amen? And so He extended to mercy and decided all this demonic host, He's released His mercy like... like in front of them, they're staring and they're looking, they're watching, and they can't do anything about it uh, he, to, re, to revive us. That's what God wants to do. He wants to revive the people, His people, to bring them back alive again, to bring, to restore to them the joy of their salvation, to cause them to get on fire for God again. And when that happens, to, to repair the house of God. You know, in America, the house of God needs to be repaired. I really believe that God... You know, God wants, like I said, He wants a, many fires in America. He don't just want one central, big, great church that has a cloud in it. He wants that cloud everywhere. I mean, that's the heart of the Father. He don't want to just like, now, everybody, you've got to go here. God wants to reveal Himself all over the earth to every person. And I believe any church or any brethren of people who really can have this, if, if they choose to have it, they want to have it, they desire to have it. That's just my little belief. And to rebuild its ruins, to rebuild the, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. The wall is important in the, in the Old Testament because they were, an unwalled city was an unprotected place. If a city didn't have a wall, then the enemy could come in and out. Wild animals could come in and out. Nobody was safe. And so that speaks of that. It also speaks of, of boundaries in relationship, of how to have real good relationships. Y'all understand that, boundaries about having relationships and knowing how to have relationships with other people and having healthy relationships. See, this is all really important right now. I'll tell you, there's not one thing that's more important than the other, but really right now, relationships are really key. I can just tell you that because, you know, this is going to determine our spiritual life, how we deal with each other. And our relationships with other people reflect our relationship with the Lord. And right now, God is really calling the church back into relationship with Him. You know, that we, it's a time for us to draw near to God. There's a time for closeness with the Lord. Just like in a natural relationship with, in a, between a husband and a wife, there's a time where you really like, there's a closeness that needs to be brought into the marriage again. And then you put focus on that, and you begin to cultivate that and bring back the, the, the fire in the marriage and the excitement in the marriage. And that's really what God's doing right now with a lot of people on the earth. It's drawing them to himself. And we really need to, to really listen to that and to draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. That's what it says. That's what James said. Draw near to God. He, and the way you draw near to God is believe God. Just believe his love and receive it. That's drawing near to God. And as you do that, you'll discover God revealing himself to you in a lot of great ways. One of the other things that Dan... Well, I don't know if Dan told me this. Somebody, it was actually a study of revival. It's how hard it is for God to bring a revival into a good church or into good Christian people's lives. Because the attitude that we develop is if you have a good church, you don't need God. You have a theology. And many Christians have a theology in their life that protects them from God moving in their life. I'm serious. There's Christians sitting in this room right now. The reason God's not moving your life is because of your theology. You've developed the theology that prohibits God, that won't allow God to move in your life. And so what we had to do, I think this is a time for us to really ask God, you know what, Lord, I put all my theology on the altar. All of it. Every single bit of it, Lord. Because we don't know anything. I want you all to know this. You are not very smart when it comes to spiritual things. I mean, the most brilliant spiritual person there is on the earth, he is not very smart. He doesn't really know anything. And when we begin to realize we don't know nothing, 
How dare us to have a doctrine and we so steadfast and hang on to it and we believe we're so right. How dare us to have that kind of attitude? That's not being teachable. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, we're all ate up with that kind of stuff. We're ate up with that. We need to be the kind of people who really, the more we go with God, the greater God becomes. The more we know about the Bible, the less we know. Because a lot of people, your understanding of certain scriptures and doctrines, they're, they're the, your greatest hindrances in your life. And I'm telling you, this because I have discovered my hindrances. I asked the Lord to reveal to me. I thought He was going to reveal all this terrible hidden sin. He started showing me things I believed that I thought was right. And saying, that's not right, Byron. That's not how I look at that. And I had a choice to make. How can it not be right? I heard it preached. I read something. And when we begin to get to that place in our life, then God can get into work in our life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? I'm telling you. It really is true. Some of the strongest Christians you've known may be. Arthur Burke told us years ago, when he had been a Christian only 50 years, <laughs> he said the worst thing, that my greatest liability is my 50 years of experience with the Lord. That's what he said. That's my greatest liability. Because that can keep me from what God has for me. Well, when he said that, it kind of scared me. Like, what? Man, Arthur Burke, I mean, he knows, you know, he knew about God before I was born. And I was going after God. So we, God wants us to be teachable. And he wants us to see him as great. And we, he wants us to see him as increasingly great. That we're not figuring God out. The more we know God, the greater God becomes. And the more we look into the Word, the greater the Word becomes. We'll never understand. Why should we have a doctrine that we're so stuck on? That we're so adamant about? You know, how come we can't hold something in our hands before the Lord? And say, Lord, I, I believe this. This is my theology and doctrine revival. I believe it. But it's yours. You can take it away and tell me I'm dead wrong. And you can send a child to me to tell me that. And I'll receive it. Because I want you more than I want my, my pride. You know? And that's really what God has been doing. I think He's doing it in a lot of people's lives. I don't think I'm the only one. Because I've had to surrender a lot of stuff in the last six months. I had to surrender a lot of stuff. I've had to surrender a lot of my, my revelation on grace. I had to put it all on the table. Like, okay, this is what I believe about. But you know what, Lord? If I'm wrong about it, please take it. Because I want the real thing. And I really want to know you. I remember hearing this story. By the way, that's the poor in spirit. But that's what that means. Poor in spirit. Some people are like, well, poor in spirit. I can't be. Jesus said you. That's the people who get the king. It's the people who like, God, look how rich I am in Christ, but look how little of it I'm walking in. You know? Look how little of God do I really know. Look how little of the Bible that I really understand and know about and truly know. I know nothing, Lord. I know nothing. And I think when we begin to cultivate that heart in us, then it gives God a chance to really work, work in our lives. Anyways, I... This guy, this famous preacher actually down in Brown, uh, well, actually in Brownsville, Florida, right? Is that where that was at? Back in the 90s? That was the name of Yeah. And he uh, heard about the revival right in the beginning that was happening at this Assembly of God church, Brownsville Assembly. And his first thought was, oh, I hope that doesn't last because it's going to mess me up. It was going to mess his schedule up. It was going to mess his lifestyle up. See what I'm saying? Something was coming in that was disruptive to him. And so he had to deal with that because it's a disruption. It will disrupt your theology. Might as well go ahead and get your theology disrupted now. Just, let's go ahead and wreck it. Let's ruin it. Let's just, just trash it, Lord. Trash it all. Let's ruin our theology. Let's ruin our doctrines. Let's ruin how we see church to be done. Just ruin it. Please ruin it. Because we don't want those things to stand in the way of what you have for us. We just don't want that, Lord. I don't want that in my life. I've done gone down this road too far. I don't want to waste my life, you know, doing this other stuff. And in the end, 
end up bankrupt spiritually. But he got it together. You know, he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. It was a divine disruption. I know a lot of people about revival wanted to say this. This is important. Uh, and because I've suffered with this myself, everything I'm telling you, I'm telling myself. I've told myself this a million times. But lots of times in revivals, the doctrine and theology of the people releasing the revival is crummy. I mean, I've heard like, how in the world are you blessing that? That's not right, obviously. But some, I mean, it was really not right. A lot of people got completely thrown off by Todd Bentley because he had character issues. And so they completely throw everything out. Can that be right? Over a man that God did use and God used powerfully to heal many people. Yeah, because he did something he shouldn't have done. And God is interested in character and integrity. He's interested in right God. But there's a scripture in Jeremiah that says extract the precious from the worthless. That's what it says to do. In other words, you don't just boot the whole thing. I'm never going to be believing revival again for what Todd Bentley did or for what Joe Blow did or what, you know, how they ruined that revival at that church and how the leaders didn't handle it right. Well, you know, get all messed up about it instead of saying, you know what? They all screwed that thing up so bad. But God was doing something. And I want to receive what he was doing because I don't want to reject God over the weakness of man. Because they're just men. They're weak. You've got to say to them, grace, grace. But let me have that, that power that God was doing. I want that. But you can take, you need to go somewhere and fix your character. You know, go do that, please. Because we're not saying bad character. We're not saying bad doctrine. We're saying great character, awesome character, Holy Spirit character, Holy Spirit doctrine. The problem is we have to let go of ours because we have bad character. There's not a person in this room that don't have character issues. And how can we stand in judgment? I'm not being too heavy, am I? <laughs> She's my, my God. Jeremiah 15, 19. Extract the precious from the worthless and you can be my spokesman is what Jesus said. In other words, he was saying, or what the Old Testament, or Jesus was talking. In other words, what the Bible is telling us, get the precious, forget the worthless. And if you'll do that, you'll have something from God. But if you don't do that, you won't. And I'll tell you another thing. This is a thing. I sound like a preacher this morning, don't I? I'm not picking on nobody. Here's another thing. If you're a perfectionist, you are messed up. You're in the wrong crowd. Don't forget revival. It's the most imperfect. Forget church. Because it was perfect, you came. This church was perfect till I walked in the door and it ruined it. And we have all this perfectionism. We want everything to be such and such a way. And God is saying, forget it. Impossible. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures is where the stall is clean. There's no oxygen. But with the strength of the oxen, as much increase in oxen's doo-doo. And somebody has to clean it up, but there's increase. So have a clean stall, but no power. And that's what the church has done. Because we don't want the mess of the ox. Because he has bad doctrine, he has tattoos, he has stupidity, he's dumb. He's out of control. And we got rid of the ox, and we got this beautiful, clean stall, but there's no power. Nobody's life is being changed. Nobody's being healed. God's not really being glorified. And honest, I'm not saying, I'm not declaring we should go for bad character and all that. I want good character. God wants you to have good character. He will do that. Woo! Mercy. Anyways. So, you know, this, this is an invitation from the Lord right now for all of us. And it really is. It's an invitation. That's the way I feel. I feel like God's invited me. And he said, you know, you've got to deal with some of the stuff. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry about my sins. No, we're not talking about sins. We're talking about your doctrine, Byron. We're talking about your theology. We're talking about your opinions. That's what we need to deal with. What are you willing to give up? I'll give up any of it. 
really? I don't give up the blood of Jesus, of course not, or the finished work of the cross. I mean, but hey, even some of the stuff that people preach on that is whack. It's like, that ain't really the truth. But maybe what I'm saying on is whack too, Lord, possibly. You know? I'm not the expert on the finished work of the cross. I'm not the expert on the blood. Have mercy on us, Lord. Nobody is the expert. Jesus is the expert. So we got to go to Jesus and look for the fruit. That's what we got to do. All right. Anyways, praise the Lord. Y'all remember last week I talked, I don't even, I'm shifting gears now on you. I just gave you my, I just want to talk about revival. Anyways, remember last week I talked to you about two things the Lord showed me? Yeah, little foxes in the pavilion thing. He hides us in the pavilion. Um, you know, I hope you're going after the little foxes in your life. Because they're eating away at your fruit. While your fruit's young and tender. And you don't even know it. And don't be dumb like me and just try to shoot it off. Kill it. Shoot it. Get your Holy Ghost gun and shoot it. You know, and put it out, get it out of your life. Well, I was really asking the Lord about this pavilion thing because I didn't really feel like I had good good stuff on that. Let me just, all right, now, I'm, just hang on to that. I'm going to go back to the pavilion. But this, let me just show you something. I'm not really into anti, you know, prophecies that are negative. Are y'all, like, bad things are going to happen? Or, I'm not really into that on any level. Okay, I don't even listen to that stuff. I can't because it kind of messes my mind up. But I will tell you this. Last night... I heard something in the night, early this morning, really. I don't know who this person was talking, okay, but he was telling me or telling somebody, I was overhearing something, and he was saying there were three things that were going to happen this year, okay? And one of them was going to, this is what my best understanding, because I was trying my best to remember everything that was being said. I was trying to capture it, but I couldn't. I, couldn't, I didn't only capture one thing, really. But I believe one of those things is going to affect Europe. Okay? It could be that, what you were talking to me about this morning, about the Iran-Israel thing. That's a big deal. But I didn't hear any Iran or Israel in it. I'm just saying, that's, that's a big deal right now. But the other thing was about America. Now, I know this is going to sound really crazy. And I don't know if the Lord was saying this to me, because I believe this came from heaven. I don't think it was coming from the bad world. Is there was some, there was a star that was going to affect America, and you know a star could be a fallen star, which is like a meteorite, or it could be an asteroid. Well, I'm not into that stuff. I'm thinking I'm not into that. I don't want no star messing with America, <laughs> you know. But they said these three things, and I know they said a star that was going to affect America, and then the other two things. And then they said, it will never be the same after that again. Never the same again. The world will never be the same again. Okay? So, I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm praying against any stars messing with America. You know? Now, I don't want some asteroid to pound into this country somewhere, because that would be like, you know, 20 nuclear warheads going off at once. I mean, those things are... I mean, you've seen all those movies, and, you know, you think, Lord, am I just... I haven't been talking to anybody about any of that stuff. I don't even listen to that stuff. But I will tell you this. God is interested. Now, this is what I feel like he was showing me before I heard all that stuff. Did that scare you? Nah. It ain't, well, it's not going to get us because of this. Psalm 27. I want to go back and read that again. Are y'all good for that? One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek. Now, that's what I'm talking about, relationship. This is really critical for us right now, to really go after the Lord. Okay? that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. See, that's really what God wants for us right now. For in the time of trouble, see, now this is it. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. You got that? He shall hide me in His pavilion. See, that's God's desire for everybody to hide us in this pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me 
high upon a rock. So I, I saw this thing, and I shared with you last, where I saw this very large pavilion, and that I was in the upstairs portion of this pavilion. And there was a stairway coming up on the outside of this pavilion where you could go into it. And somebody had placed a beam across the stairway where you couldn't get up there. And I was even commenting like, why, is this dangerous or something? Well, this is what I thought the Lord started speaking to me about, is that he put that beam up there. That the Lord is wanting to protect people. That he wants to put people in a place where they're safe. And so he wants to put us in in his secret place, in the hiding place in his tabernacle, and he's going to close all the entrances off. And nobody else can get into this place because he's put us in there. He's closed us in. So when trouble comes, it can't get to us because we're hidden in Christ, in God. I think that's the way Paul would say it in the New Testament. Okay? Are are y'all with that? Uh, uh, He shall say, and it says... All right, well, we, he shall set me high upon a rock. So there's some things that I feel like the Lord was saying to me is that there's, there's these situations. I wrote them down. Uh, first of all, there is a victim mentality with a lot of Christians. Okay? A victim mentality. That a lot of Christians walk around and they're like victims. They're victims of their circumstances. They're victims of what's happened to them and they're totally defeated because of it. Okay? And, and those people put more energy in justifying their victimness than they do believe in God and receiving what God has for them. They're protecting their position, which they're basically protecting their position outside the pavilion. And the other thing, there's an entitlement mentality where people feel like they're entitled to have certain things. And when God doesn't do that, they fall out with God over being, because God didn't give them what they felt like they were entitled to have. And that also takes you out of God's pavilion. It puts you out, you know, because you're, you're believing something wrong and your believing is really what affects everything in your life. And so a lot of these people are walking in shame. That's what I see. There's a lot of people walking in shame. A lot of people have a lot of guilt on them. You know, just eating away at them. Insecurity. A lot of people are making terrible decisions from insecurity. Living their life out of a wound. You know, in the natural, that would be like just everything their decision to make is infected with pus and filth. And, but they're living their life, and they're making decisions, and they're justifying their life based on a wound in their life. Y'all know people like that probably. There's a lot of people like that. I'll be honest with you. There's people sitting in this room right now, and some of this fits you. And you see, that is what takes us out of the experience of being hidden in the pavilion. Because our belief system about God is totally wrecked. It's like, here's the truth. This is the example. I really feel like it's a good example. Esau traded away his birthright because he was hungry. And a lot of Christians are trading away their birthright right this second because of another desire in their heart or another need in their life. And they're giving away their spiritual birthright. You know, and the Lord just just did not like that. He wanted us to esteem our spiritual birthright above everything. That no matter how hungry or how desperate we were, that we would never give that away. We would always protect that. I will never give away my spiritual birthright. I will never give away who God says I am. I'm going to be who God says. No matter what's happening in my life, no matter if everything gets great, I'm going to that's staying in God's pavilion. Are y'all following that? You know, it's like satisfying the flesh more than you embrace the blessings of Abraham, whom God blessed in every area of your life. So one of the things that the Lord wants to do, this are y'all are y'all following this? This will help you. There's a time to endure problems and pain. 
There really is. There's a time where God says, no, this is what you have to do. You have to walk through this. You have to go through this moment of pain in your life. I mean, God didn't cause the pain, but he's saying to people, we're going, you're going to have to walk through this. But there's also a time where God says, no, all I want for you is to come behold my beauty. I want to hold you in my pavilion. You know? And so, but see, what we have to do is discern which one, which way God is saying go in any situation. I'm talking about in big crises and little crises in your life. Big problems, little problems. God wants us to be able to discern, oh, this is a problem that God has sent into my life. It's an opportunity from heaven for me to bring the wisdom of God into this situation. Or, you know what? I believe the Lord's saying, come up here and I'll put that beam across there while that problem just flies right by you. We would rather just always be in that place, I think. I would. But you see, the Bible says the church is going to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities. How are we going to do that if we're all running like chickens you know, and, and are all a bunch of victims and all have this entitlement thing on with us driving us down into the ground. None of, that, none of that's going to happen. You know, and so God wants to bless us with the, with the wisdom and bless us with the favor and bless us with the understanding to know, you know, that sense of Iskar, to understand the times and know what to do in every situation in your life. Every situation. I mean, your boss calls you in. Uh, mm. I think the Lord just wants to put me in the pavilion with the old boss man today because he, he's, he's messed up. The next day the boss calls you back in. Oh, I got a word from my boss from him. I got wisdom to release here. And just knowing which situation to do it in. I mean, that's the beauty of the Lord. Are y'all following this? See, this is what God wants to do. That's why I think that thing that, that uh, Downing said was so important is that we can live in His glory and still carry on with our lives and do business. We can live in His glory and communicate stuff and not just be hmm, messed up. Well, anyways, oh, this is the thing the Lord was showing me. About emotional security. Okay? Emotional security. That's trust in the Lord. When you emotionally can trust God. Because that's really trusting somebody. When you, your emotions are engaged in it. Do y'all get that? Your emotions are engaged in it. And you know from an emotional standpoint, you can trust that person. I mean, you know, I have a lot of emotional security in my life. I trust her. There's emotional security there. It's not just me saying I trust her and hope things are going to be all right. I really do trust her. So if she does something, like goes out and spends a bunch of money, which she has been known to do, I still trust her. I still have this emotion because I don't think, well, she's for us. She's for us. She's for the home. She ain't going to do anything to go against that. So I can trust her. I've given all my money to her. She took it all. <laughs> and she spends it all and gets and fusses at me when I spend 20 bucks. You can ask her. I figured this out about her. You can ask her for $20 and she's fine with it. But if you ask for 30 it's like, why? What you going to do with that? <laughs> See, I, I figured it out. I'm just going to ask for 20 and 20 and 20. Oh, mercy, Lord. See, that's the no fear thing. God wants to bless us with no fear. And you will not have fear when you are mostly secure with God. That's, that's being in his, in his pavilion. That's a practical... That's the, uh, that, being in His pavilion is not just like some theoretical thought. It's a real thing in our real life right here. Where we are mostly secure. We're not scared. We're not afraid. We're not... That's why that thing didn't really make me afraid about a star hitting the United States of America or whatever that meant that's going to change everything because i got some emotional security in God. And just in case there's some big asteroid going to hit somewhere, I'm not going to be around it. I'm going to be somewhere else. In fact, I'm going to tell you, like, you know, you need to go out in the middle of nowhere 
and hit, where nobody gets hurt. You know, that's how we need to be. We need to be controlling our destiny instead of something controlling us. All righty. I'm just ending here, but I did want to talk to you just a minute about the blood of Jesus, and I promise to keep it light because Biggie said I was getting a little out of control in the first service. About the blood. <laughs> I asked her, she said, and then I told she told me, and she got, and then she, I gave her a bad look, and she said, Well, you asked. All right, this is the truth. We're going to do communion. But here's what I want to tell you about, about your imagination and about your mind, okay? You can have freedom in those areas. You can have freedom and have a pure imagination. I know for most men sitting here, you're thinking, really? I'm lucky in on that. Right, guys? You, you, you know, I think women too, the truth is, they just have different kinds of imaginations. But I'm a... By nature, by who God created me, I'm a very picture-oriented. I have a, I have a very powerful imagination. You know, I mean, really powerful. But the problem with it is, most of my my life, it wasn't a sanctified and pure imagination. It was not really good. And God had to teach me through hardship how to have a pure imagination. And it's, it's the blood. I shared that with you. It's the blood of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus works. And my imagination, whenever I have an image that comes into my mind that I see that's not right, just what I do immediately, I take and I reject. I say, I reject that image, and I place the blood of Christ on it. Right then and there. And you know what? It stops everything in its tracks. Everything is stopped in its tracks. Anytime I have a thought that comes in my mind, that I don't believe. See, this is the way I take thoughts captive. Because I was like, well, how do I take a thought captive? What does that really practically mean? This is what it practically means to me. When the thought comes into my mind that I know is wrong, this is how I capture it. I reject the thought and I put the blood on it. And I'm telling you, the blood works. Now, because, number one, this is what I do. If I'm stressed or I'm having bad thoughts, I go back in my mind. I start thinking about Jesus when he had that crown of thorns on his head and those men were beating him over the head with the crown of thorns and just striking him one time after another. And that's why I grasp hold of a mind that's right. Because he, I said, Lord, you bled in your mind. You did, all that was for me to be able to psychologically be whole and healthy. And I just received that. I put my focus on that. When I'm under a lot of stress especially, that's what I do. Because I just start... Focusing on that, meditating on that, and just saying, I received that mind. I received that because of what you went through. Another thing that doctors, scientists say, you know, they, that Jesus' heart ruptured. Some actually believe that when he sweated the drops of blood in the Gethsemane before anything bad happened, I mean, that was bad enough, but it, his heart was actually beginning to rupture then. That Jesus went through this terrible, terrible, terrible thing, ordeal, beating this stuff with a ruptured heart. And so my heart, when my heart's condemning me or when I'm having pictures in my heart or some bad thing in my heart, I just go back to that. You see, all that is is going back to the source and appealing to the source. And you see, the devil, the devil has to bow to it. You know, one thing that Washington Nee said, y'all want to hear this? He's talking about the blood. The blood answers three things. Number one, it answers God. God is satisfied with the blood. Number two, it answers the devil. The devil knows he doesn't want to mess with the blood. He backs off. Number three, it has to be good enough for us. You see, that's where our problem is about this. It's not the devil. It's us. It's us. Because we're not satisfied ourselves with the blood. How can that be good enough? I'm just going to let this blood... Touch my mind today and my mind's going to be okay. Yes. If it's not good enough for you, then something's wrong. Something's wrong with that thought. That's the devil trying to convince you that I know it's not good enough. You've got to do something else. You've got to, you know, jump through hoops and whatever, you know. So I've found in my life the blood of Christ being very powerful for my imagination and my thought life. Because I'm appealing to it. 
And that's how you resist the devil. You appeal to him through the blood. You don't do a bunch of stuff. You go to, go to the source of the power. And it really does work. If you begin to practice this in your life, I'm not going to tell you all the bad thoughts and bad imaginations are going to instantly go away. They will probably never go away while you're on this earth. But now you have something to stop them. You don't have to receive them. You don't have to entertain them. You can be free from them. You really can be free from them. You can be free from them. But you've got to do, you've got to believe it. You've got to apply it. You've got to go for it. You've got to speak it out, you know, you know, however you do that. You probably don't want to speak all that out loud if you're in a meeting with a bunch of non-Christian people, but you can say it in your heart. All right, here's the other thing. Now, this is a little vile, okay? A little bit vile. But this has helped me to put this picture in my mind. Uh, I was reading where a lot of historians, you know, I think it's in John 19, where when Jesus was dying on the cross, remember where they took that sponge, dipped it in vinegar, and stuck it on his mouth? Remember that? Well, that says in John, I think it's John 19 where it talks about that, where it says there was a bottle of uh, vinegar by sitting there. Well, here's what historians say. Number one, where Jesus was crucified was a very public place. Okay, it wasn't just some out-of-the-way place. It was a common place where people gathered for things. And because it was a public place, they had Johnnies there. Do y'all know what a Johnny is? Does anybody not know what a Johnny is? Raise your hand. It's a toilet. <laughs> I knew there'd be somebody. That, that's what they call them in the country. All right, Johnnies. And there were these poor Jewish people who made money. Now, I know this is the vile part, okay? Here's how they made money. The Roman soldiers, the different people who came and go sit down on the toilet and use the bathroom, they had this bottle of vinegar here. that They took this sponge on a stick, stuck it into the vinegar, and wiped the people's bottoms in the, to clean them. You know, that was their to- toilet paper of the day. You know, except there was no flush. Well, many historians believe this. That's where that bottle, that wine was from. That sponge that those people mm, stuck on Jesus, up to Jesus' mouth. You see what I'm saying? Now, you and I think we have issues with our tongue and our mouth. Man, I started putting that thing in my mind every time I'd say something I shouldn't say. You talking about humbling me? Thinking about, Lord, you took the worst from my mouth. You took the worst from my mouth. I kind of believe it's true. A lot of the historians and theologians believe that's absolutely the truth. Of course, we have no way of really knowing that because we're not we're there. A lot of people believe that sponge was the same sponge that people's butts was wiped with. And it was stuck on Jesus' mouth because of our words, because of our mouth. God has made a provision for everything. There's nothing, nothing, Nothing. Nothing. Years ago, I was in a desperate moment in my life laying in my friend's house because I didn't have a place to live. And that's kind of messes you up. <laughs> my life was going down the tubes fast. And I was desperately trying to protect it from going down the tubes. God didn't seem interested in protecting me from going down the tubes. That was the thing that was killing me. Sometimes it feels that way. I'm going down the tubes, Lord. I'm losing everything. Where are you? Please help me. That's what he said to me. Byron, your blood never loses its power. That was his answer to me at my worst, one of my worst moments in life. One of his worst moments in life. Your blood never loses its power. You know, and so today we can really have this encounter with the Lord, with communion, knowing that God has there's a provision for everybody in this room. It's called the blood. And see, when we begin to really allow the blood to cleanse our imagination, our mind, we're going to begin to see in the spiritual realm. Because it says the blood will cleanse your, con- your heart from an evil conscience. That's what it says in Hebrew. It cleanses all that evil off your heart. That's what it does. It cleanses it off of us. A heart doesn't need to be... The heart itself is cleansed. It's, we have a new heart. We have a fresh heart. But an evil conscience attaches itself to our hearts. And that evil conscience has to have something to shut it up, to stop the, the, the words, stop the pictures, 
It has to have something, and the blood is what does it. And so we can take communion today, and we can come before the Lord, and we can believe this. And we can begin to get free of bad thoughts. We can begin to get free of a bad imagination. We can get, begin to get free of worry and anxiety. We can get free of sickness. All these things are real in the blood. And God really wants to bring it out to us, you know, and set us free. Because I'm going to be honest with you. As a person who was in bondage to bad images, it is a nice day to wake up with good images. It's a great day to have pure thoughts coming into your mind when you've lived with impure thoughts. It's an awesome way to live. It's an awesome way to live. And when I mess up with my mouth, it's, to me, it's like, you know what, Lord? If that wasn't the sponge, something was messed on that sponge. I'm just taking that sponge. If you took it, I take it. Because I can be cleansed. My mouth can be cleansed. I can speak wholesome words, right words. You know, I mean, God really wants to do that for people. He wouldn't have went through all that for us. So, you know, I want us to do communion. But I really want us it not just to be a ritual. But it is a ritual. I want you to know that. It's a ritual in the Bible. The Bible gave us one ritual, you know, in the New Testament. As often as you do this. So that was something God wants us to do. He's like, you know, this is a ritual and it's important. Don't get into legalism about it. Don't get into stupidity about it. But it is important. But I want us to go beyond that this morning and say, Lord, I, I really believe in the power of the blood today. I'm a mess, Lord. I'm messed up. How could you ever cleanse my thoughts? Well, the blood never loses its power. And begin to let the blood work in your life in a new way, or in a real way. I mean, really take it this morning and really believe in it. Really believe in it. And see if God will do something in your life. And begin, when you know, whenever those bad thoughts come, just put the blood on it. Reject them. And as you do that, you're going to start getting some revelation from heaven. You're going to start hearing God. You're going to start seeing into the spirit world. You're, all the things that we love, it's going to start happening to you in your life like you won't believe Nothing more precious than the blood of Jesus. So I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you want to revive us, Lord. And I believe our true revival, Lord, is found in the cross. Lord, is found in who you are. Lord, you're the most important person. Lord, we wouldn't want a fire without having the, the fire starter himself here. So, Lord, we are coming before you this morning as we receive you know, the communion. The, the, hey, you know what let's do? Let's do something different this morning on that. Why don't we all go up and get it, okay? And then everybody come and stand at the front, and let's do it all together. Let's do the bread together. Let's do the juice together. Y'all want to do that? That's just, let's just do that. Yeah, so why don't, we, why don't you go ahead and do that? Go get your stuff, and let's just come up here and do this, and and let the Lord not only do it individually, but do a corporate healing. All right, while you're getting it, and come on up here. We're gonna have we're gonna have a word read. Stand up here. So y'all just come on and line up and. Uh, listen to this as you get your communion stuff. I just want to say that what Byron was uh, talking about, the blood, it's, it's actually, I know you guys already probably know this, but it's a very powerful thing. It's a very powerful source. And um, one night I was just sleeping and I woke up and this was just really the cry and prayer in my heart. And um, I just wrote it down really quick, not knowing the significance of it, but I'm just going to read it to you guys. Um, the more I surrender, the greater ability you have to fully fulfill the desires of my heart. Help me always to surrender under the blood of the cross and allow me to obtain the significance of your blood. What a strange way to save the world. Mary bore a son, a living sacrifice. Now in heaven, alive is where he resides. Jesus, my Father, look at all that you've done for us. My heart is full of thanksgiving and joy to the very depth of what you've carved out of love.
So, Lord, just we just thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his blood, Lord. And I just pray that in each one of our hearts, Lord, that you would help us understand the significance. Help us to obtain that, Lord, and keep it close to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you. We'll just wait. Why don't we just worship some Andy while everybody gets their, gets their stuff, gets their... It's the bread and the blood. Behold our King Victorious. A crown of thorns upon his brow. His broken body glorious. His love for sinners pouring out. Oh, King, awesome in power, worthy forever, lifted above. You know, the Bible says that, that Christ endured the cross. He endured the shame of the cross. Okay? He endured that for us. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. That wasn't something he enjoyed. He endured being treated so despicably, so awful. You know? But for the joy set before him. Because he, he on the cross, was looking down at us today and believing that, that it's all taken care of. He said, as he despised the shame, we don't have to live in shame no more. We don't have to live in guilt no more. We're free today in Christ because of what he did. We're free. We can be free of all of that stuff today. We can have a, a whole new start in our life today as we just receive that and believe that. Just believe and thank you. Lord, we thank you so much. God, we could never say thank you and no, we could spend our all our breath and every word saying thank you, thank you, thank you. It would never pay you back. And we're so happy you're not asking us to pay you back. You're just saying, just believe. Just believe. Just believe and embrace Him. And Lord, we just want to just receive this broken body of Jesus Christ today into us that something would happen to us even today. Just, just take that cracker and put it into your mouth and receive we receive the broken body of Jesus Christ your flesh broken for us Lord your sorrow Lord your pain now Lord we receive the blood of Jesus Christ we believe in the power of the blood the glory of the blood just receive that blood right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for it. 
Let there be a miracle happen today, God. Father, we invoke the power of the blood of Jesus into our lives, into our families, into our friends, Lord, into our nation. We call for for the blood of Christ now that it would flow. Life would come forth, Lord, even out of us today, Lord. And we thank you for it. We worship you, Lord. So we're just going to end, you know, on this song of worship. Lord, thank you for this beautiful time. Just beholding you on the cross for us, Lord. And I just pray that resurrection power would increase in our lives this week, God. Lord, thank you that you died, but thank you even more that you didn't stay dead. But that our Redeemer lives today and forevermore. And God, let that grace, let that power to live resides so richly and so firmly in the lives of this church, God, that it becomes a very foundation and fabric for who we are, God. We just thank you for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forevermore. Amen. Amen. You can be blessed, be dismissed.